0: Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden and you're listening to Queer Stories. This week, Associate Professor Sandy O'Sullivan is a Wiradjuri academic, researcher and creative practitioner. They performed this story at Brisbane Powerhouse. Thank you. So I'd like to start by acknowledging the always owners of the land on which we're meeting today, um, as well as their elders past, present and emerging Uh, I'm an Aboriginal person, a Wiradjuri trans non-binary person. Um, For the last 27 years, I've been an academic working across music and performance and Indigenous cultural practice. So in my day job, um, as an associate professor at University of the Sunshine Coast, about an hour up the road... fabulous. Um, I I make art and I write about creative practice, uh, as well as about queerly diverse Indigenous bodies and representation, because of course I do. Um, Look, one of the things I'm going to talk about tonight is um, this major research project that I started in 2010. It was set up to look at the way national museums and keeping places represent and engage First Nations peoples. I visited 470 museums across three countries. It was a lot. Um, The UK, the US, and Australia. So it was just within those spaces. I wanted to find out how Indigenous peoples were located in museums, how we were present there, and how our voices were being privileged and amplified or not. Um, I asked museum staff what works in the real representation of Indigenous mob. And they pretty much told me. Um, There was a strong message about challenging stereotypes of identity and promoting the diversity of Indigenous peoples. A lot of the people I spoke to were Indigenous curators. Surprise, surprise. So, look, the whole project came about um, because I'd been working for a decade before that in the repatriation of human remains from museums in particular. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's um, when a museum digs up the body of a loved one of yours and then puts it on display. So it's pretty foul. Um, But in 2009, I was visiting a major university in the US, and um, I went into their ethnographic museum. Um, I don't usually say what the name of the um, major university is, but um, I think it's probably the biggest one that you can imagine or the most prominent one that you can imagine and they've got an ethnographic museum there that's kind of remarkable but for many years um, we had had court cases um, with universities, museums in particular in the US and so most of the curators knew me um, and as I walked in the front door the lead curator saw me and ran out the back door (laughs) oh no pretty good Um, And, of course, it was hilarious and ridiculous all at the same time. And I was really interested in how we could change our relationship. Um, This is about them doing the work, but it was about me facilitating that because it wasn't going to happen otherwise. And all of us facilitating that because we have to demand it as audiences. So I started to realise that that relationship that we had as Indigenous people, the fearful from their perspective, and the disconnected from ours wasn't going to fix things. They took our bodies and we made them uncomfortable, basically. So the project aimed at finding common ground and real representation um, of the diversity of who we are. So, And, of course, it forced them to stay in the room, not run out the back door as well. In the US alone, I drove nearly 80,000 miles. Um, I visited hundreds of museums. And I have over 280,000 images um, and obviously hundreds of hours of discussion. And I looked at the worst and the best of these museums. Uh, I went to the, no, name names, I went to the Natural History Museum in New York where they have the primates and then the indigenous peoples. Um, I went to Bunjalaca at Melbourne Museum, which is a wonderful. Um, Indigenous curator-led um, project that has been fully realised into something that is, has agency and that the community want. In the course of the study, a curator asked me, totally unproblematically, if I thought there'd still be Indigenous people in 100 years' time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I quickly told her, yes, uh, but I'm not so sure about museums. Well, I'll just tell you, she looked at me like I'd just shot a member of her family, you know. Because, and I mention that not just for the joke, but for the laugh, but because you learn a lot about what people value when you're doing this work. Um, and you learn a lot about the gays. Not the gays, not you. But, the, but that notion of, of how people are looking. So I had all these mammoth discussions and I understood a lot more about how you challenge symbolic annihilation at least, in the museum space, and how you really challenge negative stereotypes that are in those spaces. And I published and I spoke about it a lot, nationally, internationally, and I got really cocky about it. I figured this was an area I knew really well and that I felt really comfortable um, making some conclusions as well. Then one day, um, in 2017, I got an invitation that reminded me that my diversity bubble was really paper-thin. Um, a research group from the University of Winnipeg in Canada asked me to visit and talk about what I'd found in the research. They were doing a project... They're actually still doing this project called Museum Queries, and it's an amazing project that I'm now a part of. Looking at queerness in museums, fantastic um, idea and fantastically realised. It was a clever play on word, queries. Um, But it got me into a complete panic... Um, because all those museums that I visited and all of the work that I'd done on diversity and gender and sexuality, and it didn't even occur to me to connect that up. Um, So if my imposter syndrome um, wasn't already ramped up to 11, um, by being an Aboriginal creative practitioner within the university sector, um, I realised that just writing about these two things and not having brought them together meant that I wasn't really living the experience that I was talking about. And even at the same time as I was urging these spaces that I saw as pretty, you know, recalcitrant to do it. So I rewind now to 38 years ago when I performed professionally in public for the first time. I was 15, um, and so it was the late 70s, and playing punk music on a banjo in um, Townsville Mall. Um, really? <laughs> okay. Um, punk music banjo makes sense. Look, it was my available instrument at the time. It's all that I knew. And of course, in my remembering, my performances cleverly showed the audience that the banjo was truly a punk instrument. <laughs> now I make that case all the time. Um, But it was the tool I had available and it was the work that I needed to do. Um, So I learned a lesson then that unfortunately I had to relearn um, when I prepared to go to Winnipeg to front up the museum queries mob and confess that extremely queer me uh, didn't even think about queerness in this museum's review. It was there at the side and sure I saw things but it just didn't properly occur to me that this would be a brilliant demonstration so I did what any banjo playing punk would do (laughs) I used the available tools and hoped that I would deliver to an audience what they needed and deserved I did I think so I went back through I mean I did probably what all of you would do I went back through and looked at all of those hundreds of thousands of photos I looked at I went through the conversations that I'd had And I thought about every community that I'd visited and every exhibition, and I started again to look with fresh eyes. Um, In the looking and the humility, I found queerness. I found diverse genders. I found LGBTIQ++++, because of course I did. Of course I did. I found them, us, across generations, locations, and configurations, and across First Nations communities across the world. I found them in the literature. Um, in the conversations that i would had with curators, of course, and in many exhibitions. And I realised I had queer queer stories all the way through it. So telling these stories now um, allows us to challenge the colonial project. It does. Um, It forces us into um, remembering those parts of our identity that show us as complete people. Um, And in doing this whole project I was reminded about um, a Pasoak Cree researcher, Alex Wilson, amazing scholar and a colleague of mine who talks about coming out, uh, sorry, talks about coming in, not about coming out. And that coming in notion is a really important one. It's about finding your community and being welcomed for who you are. So it is the coming in. Um, being welcome for your truth and your mistakes and your missteps, but also being allowed to mess up and later get it right. Um, so this group, the museum's query, museum queries mob were reaching out to me and assuming I would make these connections. In doing that, they forced me to make the connections and it, it absolutely made the work better. It made it more meaningful for everyone. Um. I'm working on a piece now, and I'm working on it with Indigenous X. I'm an ambassador for Indigenous X. If you don't know it, um, please consider following it if you're on Twitter. Look at it if you're on Facebook. And if you want information about the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in Australia, I think it's an, it's an amazing resource as a website. Um, so Indigenous X started out eight years ago as a rotating Twitter account, and um, and, it's, and every week there's a different Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person who runs it, and it is amazing. Um, so, and what we've done is we've curated each of those experiences from those um, that they've expressed over that week from those, um, those folks, and um, we've put it onto the website, uh, taken their Guardian article that they did and curated it. And what's that, what that's meant is that we've got nearly 40 um, queer stories that just alone, as a part of that. Two years ago, when marriage equality was a part of... um, ..was was raging in debate, um, Indigenous X took a position, a very firm position in the affirmative, and it was very clearly um, stated by having six in a row um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander queer people who um, were there... Uh, talking about their experiences and talking about what it meant for our communities and challenging some of these ideas. So I'm so I'm working on this piece now with Indigenous X called Contagion. Uh, this is Indigenous X, by the way, unsettled since 1788. The Contagion draws on Wilson's work, so uh, and the work of others as well that propose that we're stronger when we find each other. Um, I mean, you know that you're here. Uh, that we rely on community to buoy and support, um, and it's. It's like queer stories in that way, but it's also about a cohesion of the whole of community. Um, Their work focuses on Ninua, which is our coming in stories. Contagion acknowledges the diverse genders and sexualities of First Nations peoples. It challenges the symbolic and actual annihilation that removed us. And it encourages us to share our complex, messy, funny, incomplete stories. And it challenges people like the person at Harvard University who ran out the back door when they saw me coming. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and follow Queer Stories on Facebook for updates.